Welcome to Moon Show, a For All Mankind podcast. I'm your host, Neek Yeager, and with me today are Rick. Hi, Bob. And Scott. Hi, Bob. With only two guests tonight, I'm hoping we can keep this thing under an hour. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I'll, I'll try. Not that there's anything wrong with going long. Today, we will be discussing episodes six and seven of season three. I'll start with my usual synopsis of each episode, and then we'll move on to the discussion. Episode 6, New Eden. Ed and Danny the Lesser despondently plant a Helios flag on Mars while the astronauts set up their base along with the Russians. Now that they've doubled their crew, they need to ration water. Sojourner was damaged upon landing, so it won't be able to fly again. This means the only ship that can bring anyone back to Earth is Phoenix. Danny, being the turd he is, gets (laughs) distracted while working and cuts his hand and is given a painkiller which I'm sure will go well. He watches a video Ed has recorded for Karen in which Ed notes that Danny's behavior of late is reminiscent of the breakdown he witnessed in Gordo back in the moon days. Karen goes back to Helios and negotiates a position as CEO and then negotiates a deal with the Russians who have discovered water on Mars and want to use Helios equipment to mine it. The deal is Helios will get 50% of their bounty. Notably absent from that deal is NASA. Ed hints to Kelly that Helios and the Russians are working on something big, but he can't tell her what it is. No big deal. She'll ask Alexi what's up. They're in the hydroponics bay enjoying a quickie, and they think their relation is on the down low, but who are they kidding? They live in close quarters. People know. Alexi refuses to tell Kelly what the Russian Helios collab is about, and she's a lot harder on him than she was on her papa. Kelly also asks Alexi not to let on to Ed that they're together, and he overcompensates by pretending not to know her at all, which angers Ed when he visits to share some rations for a Mars Thanksgiving. Product placement, anyone? The Marzanauts record a PR video for Earth, and Will, you'll remember him as Roland's good buddy, goes off script and reveals that he's gay. This is a problem because he's in the army, and officers are typically dishonorably discharged for homosexuality. The vice president is losing his shit, and Ellen is questioning every choice she's ever made. Larry suggests the inactive version of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, which the show calls Uniform First. It won't help Will, and he'll still get discharged when he gets back to Earth, but it'll help other gay people in the military, somewhat. Uh, Ellen and Larry know that this policy will be going too far for the Republicans and not far enough for the Democrats, but mutually dissatisfactory compromise is what government's all about. And, you know, also life in general. But Mm. anyway, Uh, Danielle has a talk with Will, and she's annoyed that he's distracting from their mission by airing his personal issues. He thinks she doesn't understand what it's like to be marginalized, and she's like, um, hello, look at me? Ultimately, Danielle wants Will to stay on target and keep doing his job. So Will's previous good buddy, Roland, the Russian defector guy, he's homophobic and HIV-phobic and is literally afraid of being near Will. He's also upset that he was lied to, and he gets so angry that things come to blows. So there goes that not-touching-him thing. 
Back on Earth, Margot is trying to convince General Bradford to help her get Sergei permanently out of Russia with the promise of the defection of a very valuable asset. Sergei slips Margot the information that the Russians have discovered water on Mars and Elena rushes off to tell Danielle. And Danny the Greater is pissed, confronting both Ed and the Russian commander during their Martian Thanksgiving. Now that Kelly knows about the water, she makes Ed promise they won't do anything with it until they test it properly for signs of life. And the episode ends with a White House aide who's been having an affair with Larry telling a friend about said affair, and that friend turns out to be a rat, and he leaks the story, so I'm sure that'll turn out well. Mm. Episode 7, Bring It Down. So Larry is asked about his affair during uh, some kind of official meeting, and he denies it, perjuring himself under oath. So, indeed, that went well. (laughs) Ellen is obviously upset, and for some reason, they discuss all their business in the Oval Office, so I guess they don't know it's bugged. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Like, who's bugging it? That's never resolved. Anyway, in any case, so Larry lets slip that Pam left not to be with someone else, but because she didn't want to stand in the way of Ellen's political career. And Ellen freaks out. She considers the path not taken, wondering perhaps about an alternate history where she chose Pam over politics. Meanwhile, Aleda is still being um, a little sleuth, and she shares her Russian spy suspicions with her husband, whom she's now separated from. He suggests that she think outside the box for suspects, and she starts accusing random people going to Margot with her evidence, and Margot threatens to remove her from duty. So last week, Scott, you were saying that you dislike the trope of guilty people awkwardly trying to deflect suspicion from themselves and how their attempts are unrealistically successful. But what happens here is exactly what you would want. It's exactly or probably what would happen in real life. Aleda is crushed by Margot's lack of support and realizes Margot herself is probably the mole. Secretaries are usually the first to turn because they have all the access and none of the power is enough. Aleda, God damn it, I told you to leave this alone. You're the lead engineer on the mission that landed the first human beings on Mars. And instead of doing your job, you're up all night playing Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I'm still doing my job. Really? Because to me, it looks like you're in here casting suspicion on people, innocent people. You, of all people, should know how damaging false accusations can be. Maybe you need to take a break. A break? Since when does Margaret Madison give breaks? This has clearly all been too much for you, Alita. The stress, the pressure. I'm not taking a break. Then you need to stop with all this, this nonsense. Or it may not be up to you. Speaking of hairless, creepy little moles, Jimmy is still <laughs> hanging out with the anti-NASA conspiracy peeps. Sunny, the girl he's crushing on, even though she's with their cult leader, accompanies Jimmy to NASA so they can steal an employee ID for further nefarious actions. They accomplish their mission, but Jimmy is hesitant, perhaps sensing his lack of commitment. The gang steals the Tracy and Gordo statue as a surprise for him. Yay, I guess? Amber knows something's up with Jimmy and sends Danny a video about it, but he's too busy being a drug addict to give a shit. Shockingly, shockingly, he's regularly stealing meds and getting high. His bad behaviors escalate and he destroys a robot dog toy one of the crew brought aboard, But for some reason, that's not enough of a red flag to get him relieved of duty. He's only removed from piloting. Ed confronts him, knowing he's using, and even though Danny is insubordinate, Ed still doesn't take him off duty. 
he challenges him to a fight, telling him to be a man, echoing the way he used to treat Shane and Gordo. And shockingly, shockingly, (laughs) this doesn't work to get Daddy back in line. Instead, he uses more drugs and he goes to work because he's still on duty. And he turns off comms so he can't hear the warnings when the water drill pressure is rising. And his actions lead to an explosion and a cliffhanger. All right. So we'll move on. The defense rests, Your Honor. (laughs) (laughs) We will save Danny for the end. Right now, (laughs) we will start with Will. I would say the biggest plot point in episode six is Will's coming out. So the obvious question is, you know, was using the NASA PR platform the the right way, the right time, the right place to make his declaration? Oh, this is I've been I've been agonizing over this minor anecdote. I don't have I don't have a big anecdote for this, but I was in the Air Force when Don't Ask, Don't Tell was enacted Mm -hmm. and was actually accused of being gay by a few people in my squadron because I was talking so much about it. They're like, are you gay? I'm like. No, but I have a lot of friends who are, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with being gay. And I, you know, I was in the Air Force, which is kind of the intellectual elite of the the U.S. military in general. I mean, there, you know, it's that's a broad statement. I'll grant you, but you would expect Air Force people to be a little less. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> but you know, I, I think I may have mentioned this before. You know, these guys were smart enough to tear down an engine, uh, you know, a jet engine in their sleep. Uh, but they still were like, don't let that fag near me. Not my words. Oh, I'm sure they were all fronting for each other, but carry on. But yeah. And, you know, and when Don't Ask, Don't Tell came out, there was a lot of talk about, uh, you know, how would we how would the military work if they accepted gays as allowed people to be openly gay and uh, became a whole gender discussion because they were like, well, you know, I'm not going to bunk with a gay dude. I don't want him looking at me and wanting me. And I'm like, oh, dude, God. look in the mirror. <laughs> 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 but, um, but on, but on a, you know, on a, uh, you know, from a, a logistical standpoint, I could see it being an issue with like people having to live together to shower together. You yeah. know, they segregate by gender. And of course now that's a whole different ball of wax too. I don't I mean it always was, but now it's, it's, out uh, and and in the open and it you know it it is it's not something that can be ignored it's something that has to be dealt with with sensitivity and rationality as opposed to just oh you're gay you're gonna make me sick or something you know i don't think uh, what's his name will will yeah i don't think he made the right choice i can understand you know i'm on mars i'm i'm euphoric and i'm gonna make a stand but he made a stand on some really thin ice. And I, I I don't think it's a long way to say, no, I don't think he, I don't think it was the right time. I don't think it was the right platform. Uh, I think he probably should have waited until he got back. And then as a Mars hero back on earth, then he could have done a whole lot better in my opinion. Rick brought it in for a landing at right about where, where I landed on it. I had a really difficult time when watching, not just the scene where, Will is doing his his testimonial and and sharing his truth with the world, uh, but everything that happened afterward that was tied to it, all the aftermath and all the ripples that the show uh, showed us. I had a hard time trying to keep in mind the time period that the season is set in because I'm watching it in the here and now, and I'm hearing what he's saying, and I I see the scene in a here and now context. It's like, oh, look at look at you, nice, nice, you're. 
revealing this part of yourself and and that's cool everyone should be able to do that but then the show is merciless and it's reminding you of when this is happening and then it gets super sad all over again because you have no choice but to realize the problems that he has created legitimate problems that shouldn't exist but they do because people are um right the worst so (laughs) it's political fallout it's public opinion fallout fallout amongst uh his uh his groupmates and it was uncomfortable to watch and it was uncomfortable because it was realistic for that time and that's what i hated about it it reminded me how much easier that sort of thing is today while simultaneously reminding me that it's not as easy as it should be today so all in all kudos to the the writers and the showrunners for including this particular story element that it's going to be uncomfortable no matter what angle you come at it from. Mm. And not to say discomfort is good, but it's, uh, it's clever and well-constructed storytelling. So then based on your reactions, I can assume that you agree with the way Danielle reacted to it and her conversation with him where she's like, I mean, she basically said what you just said, where like, this is not the time, this is not the place, like, you know, don't center yourself, this isn't about you, this is about Mars, this is about our mission. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, they get I, into an I argument. Regretfully, I regretfully had to agree with her. Because... Yeah, it's interesting. I, I wish that she wasn't right, but she absolutely was. She is right. And before doing this podcast, I listened to the uh, the official Apple TV um, For All Mankind podcast, and the actress who plays Danielle is the one who hosts it. And she was saying that when it came to the scene, you know, she went to the writers cause she didn't get it. She was like, why wouldn't Danielle be super supportive? And then they explained it to her that like the, the appropriateness of her reaction of not just of, um, you know, stay on target with your job, but also Danielle is someone who has forged a path for others. And to some degree, Will is being disrespectful to her by just like going out there and being like, we need to look at me and not not taking into account what's come before and not, I, I don't know, doing things the right way, if you will. <laughs> and so not that that's correct to say that people have to stay in their lane and, and do things in a proper procedure, but that Danielle would think that. Danielle would perceive things in that way because she's very much, she's very by the book. And so in their their conversation, um, Will accuses Danielle of not getting it by saying that being gay, you know, is not like being black. And then and then she says, yeah, at least you have the, the luxury of hiding your gayness. And he's affronted by the idea that this is a luxury. Meanwhile, he seems not to have noticed the difficulty of being a woman. But in any case, there is a whole world of shit that's about to come down on you. And there is nothing I can do to stop it. I know. That's my problem. No, it's the mission's problem which now makes it my problem. I just don't understand why you couldn't have waited till we got back to Earth. I've waited my entire life. I'm done lying about who I am. I get that, Will. Really? I do. Do you? What's that supposed to mean? For all I know, you're sitting there thinking I'm, I'm some kind of heathen. Come on. That is, that is way out of line. But God made the Garden of Eden out of a desert, right? A blank slate, just, just like this one. I was standing out there looking at a new world untouched and I thought, what if this is our chance to plant a new tree of knowledge? 
to start again. Who's to say here, a hundred million miles from Earth, what's a sin and what's not? This is not about God. This is about NASA. If you have a problem, you run it up the chain of command. You don't just blurt it out on national TV like you're on Sally Jesse Raphael. You have, you have no idea what it's like to live with a secret like this your entire life. To know that if people found out who you are, who you really are. They what? They judge you. Just for living in the skin that you were born in. Come on, Will. I've been in this program for more than 20 years, and not one second has gone by that I am not aware of how they see us. So don't you stand there and tell me that I don't know what it's like. Being gay is different than being black. Yeah, you're right. At least you have the luxury of hiding it. Luxury? You know what I mean. Actually, I don't. Last time I checked, reconstructing the moral fabric of the universe was not our mission. Our mission is to create a sustainable base here and survive. Okay, but what does that even mean, survive? It means stop thinking about yourself and go fix the fucking thermal control units. So th this is a bit of a off topic, getting a little bit away from For All Mankind, but just out of curiosity, you know, in the oppression Olympics, <laughs> is it is it worse to have a thing you're forced to hide or is it worse to have all your disadvantages, you know, readily visible on your person? There's a word that I learned, and I'm kind of, given my history, my my avocation, you know, I've been in the theater my whole life. Uh, I have had gay friends my whole life. I thought I was aware of most issues uh, that LGBTQIA plus people dealt with. But there are some there are some terms I've learned in the last five years, uh, you know, especially with the, with the trans people. But there's a word. Uh, intersectionality mm -hmm. that it took me a while to grasp it. And I think it really comes into play here because you could say that two black people have the same experience, but that's a false equivalence because a black man doesn't have to deal with as much as a black woman does. A gay black man will have different problems than a gay black woman, but a trans black woman will have different issues than a trans white woman, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so even getting, you know, we, we've been trying to, over the last, all of human history, people who are not in the, you know, straight white cis uh, notch have been trying to get people to understand them. But it's like, you know, gay, straight. Well, that's not, that that's not just a binary, you know, male, female, that's not, not just a binary. And then once you start adding in all the other variables that intersectionality covers, then it just becomes this whole spectrum of crap people have to put up with because people that look like me can't get over themselves. And I think this is something that, you know, the the argument between Danny and and Will is a is a you know a, a huge example of that because yes, Will is black, Will is gay. Being black and gay has its own Pandora's box of problems, uh, especially back then. But Danny's like, you know what? You can hide half of that. You don't have to tell people. I am a black woman all the time and I'm in the cameras all the time. So don't tell me I don't know what you're going through. You know, as as, you know, straight cis white dude sitting here, I'm going like I, ha I you know, I, I have no I, I can empathize to a certain degree. But this is the kind of stuff that people like me need to see more often is that it's not all just, you know, the, the LGBTQIA plus is not all one happy family, all working towards a similar, you know, the same goal. Um, I've been frequently shocked at how much even 
different classes of gay people get pissed at each other. Almost as though everyone is an individual. Oh, my God. What a concept. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you for crystallizing what I was trying to get to. That's exactly what I was where I was going with. <laughs> and I wasn't sure that's where I was going. So thank you. This straight white guy is terrified at trying to answer which is worse. Being able to hide who you are and needing to or not being able to hide who you are. Oh, that was the question. Sorry, Ed. <laughs> I I really don't know. I I don't know if I've really had to do this on the show before, but I I I cannot offer an answer because I am too ill-equipped to do so. I well, wish that's the thing. There I wish no answer, one had to hide right? anything, and I wish that people who couldn't hide things didn't wish that they could. And that's that's. But it, it does come possibly down. more white savior than I wanted to sound. But that I I wish I I wish I wish I wish. Well, let me ask you a quick question because I can't remember. Are we in? We're in the mid nineties in the show right now. Yeah, and ninety four, ninety four, ninety five, something like that. I think ninety three, ninety four is when at least like when it started. When the season okay. started. Well, the, the season started I think in ninety two, and they said it's two years until the Mars mission, so it has to be ninety four. Okay. Because Don't Ask, Don't Tell happened in our reality in like 92. Okay. So it's interesting that this is this issue has not happened yet until mm -hmm. where we are in the show. Just another, uh, another divergence. Know, another divergence from quote unquote reality. I don't know if we can call what we live in reality or not. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Well, well so society and culture uh, were distracted from homosexuality for two years due to the early advent of electric cars, but then they got back on track. So they're just oh, a little bit behind. That, oh, that's the problem. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> mm. That's how that happened. Makes sense. 100%. All right. We'll move on to another uncomfortable topic. Jimmy. Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy. I'm sorry, you said uncomfortable hairline? What? What? <laughs> you know what? Kudos to the, hey, the hair hey, department. Wait a minute. Don't do that. <laughs> no, but for real, because binging the the show for doing the podcast, I was able to remember what Jimmy looked like in season two. And his hairline was completely different and he looks like 10 years younger. But like they didn't put any makeup on the actor to age him. All they did was mess up his hair and it was so effective. Mm. He looks so much older. And and I, and I should I should clarify. I shouldn't have said hairline. I, I should say hairstyle because, you know, <laughs> you can do a lot with a hairline. Uh, unfortunately, he ain't doing nothing with yeah, it. He, he's making all the wrong choices <laughs> in his hair and in everything else. He is living his wake up hair life. <laughs> I, I had a five head when I was 26. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why I have bangs. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So why? Why is he so easily taken in by his new so-called friends? Oh, it, it's difficult to answer this question because the, the, the writers and the actor have done such a good job of just making him seem from the jump. It's like, oh, yeah, this guy's going to be taken in by anything. He's an easy mark. He's easily led. And it's so convincing that you don't often find yourself asking, well, why are you this way, Jimmy? But it stretches all the way back to season two. He he seemed to be, you know, a bit a bit of a layabout. He didn't seem to have a lot of ambition even back then. And it hasn't gotten any better now. The the season three premiere did a good job of uh making it clear that 
the deaths of Tracy and Gordo have definitely left some serious scars for him. And he's never really, he's never really processed that loss or those emotions, but one would assume there are probably indicators of this that I'm just not remembering. It feels like since he doesn't really have any clear cut thing or person that he can blame for what happened to Tracy and Gordo, he defaults to blaming NASA because they gave so much of themselves to their career and they died in the service of that career, well, then obviously it's NASA's fault. It's not the space race's fault. It's not the Russians' fault. It's NASA's fault. And if you ask him, why is it NASA's fault? He won't be able to answer you. He'll just know that it's NASA's fault. So when he sees people who also dislike NASA, their reasons don't matter. They hate NASA. He hates NASA because his parents died so it's a match. I got to be with these guys because they hate what I hate. And he does not pay attention to why they hate NASA because they're going off of conspiracy theories and, and a whole bunch of hooey stuff that just doesn't make sense. They want to hate something. They want to rebel against something and they chose NASA. So Jimmy just falls into it. I think they were planting the seeds for Jimmy way back in season one. Cause like, in season I one, honestly it was... don't remember him in season one. I know he was there. Well, I don't but that's remember. my point. That's exactly my point. Because he's not memorable in season one. He's literally an afterthought. There's all this talk about Shane and Danny and them getting into trouble. And mm-hmm. it's like, where's Jimmy throughout all this? He's like, he's literally just, you know, in the background. Mm-hmm. And he's not really ever mentioned. But he is present, but he's neglected. He's neglected as a character. And I think that was deliberate to show that as a child, he's being neglected. And so Danny is the high achiever and we know you know, what happens to Danny, but from Jimmy's perspective, he's seeing his big brother emulating his parents. He's seeing everyone get accolades for being this type of person, this astronaut type of person, and he can't compete. Therefore he goes in the opposite direction and he is very lonely. He's feeling very um, low self-esteemy and he's depressed. And as you said, he fixates on NASA as the bad guy. And these people come along and offer him friendship. And that's ultimately all he wants, right? That's ultimately all any of us want is we want love. We want acceptance. We want friends. And that's what they offer. And even though they're not really offering that, it's the best he can do. It's the best he's ever done. And so he interprets their actions as friendship. I mean, deep down, like you can see it, the actor is doing a great job because you can see it in his face that he's like not really into all this stuff. Like when they bring the statue, he looks at it and he's like, what? He doesn't like, like, like what I they're do. doing. Yeah, he, he he's not into it, but he's so desperate for friends. He's also trying to impress the girl, Sonny. Mm-hmm. And so he just goes along with these things. And that's why it's so easy for them to take advantage of him. Yeah, and because in, in order to take advantage of him, it requires them to give him just at least some attention. They have to pay attention to him in order to use him. And that attention is all he wants. That's it. He's craving the attention and they give it to him. And thus he will do whatever he has to do to try to make them happy, to push down his own hesitations and his own uncertainties about what's happening because if he were to speak up it might endanger the attention that he is getting and not just the attention from the girl even though i'm sure he wants some attention from the girl he wants attention from all of them he'll do whatever they ask even if he thinks it's a bad idea he'll do it because he has quote-unquote friends 
Well, Rick, you have anything to add? Just one sentence, and it sounds like Scott was finishing up there. It has been well established the Stevens boys are are led around by their dicks for this entire show. <laughs> That's a way oversimplification. I'm going to cut that. <laughs> <laughs> not that it's not that it's hard, horridly inaccurate. <laughs> But it is oversimplified. It, it's an it is aspect. an oversimplified. I grant you. I was trying to be brief. Mm-hmm. You've been wanting me to be brief. And then I'm brief and you're like, well, that's too simple. <laughs> well, well done, Rick. You are brief. You got the brief and you were brief. <laughs> All right. We'll move on to Aleda. Uh, was anyone surprised to discover she's now separated from her husband? No. It's like they didn't give us any buildup on that. Well, I mean, other than their argument from the previous episode, but like they're they're hanging out, they're talking, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, they're separated. I was more surprised she was married, to be quite honest. Yeah, no kidding. Eh? <laughs> I was expecting that there was going to be something more between her husband and her father, and we never saw a lot more than what what we had before the time jump, then I just assumed, oh, there there was something more, and that's probably what precipitated this separation. Well, also Alita just being a terrible spouse and never being around. That too. Hence my previous comment. I I don't know how she found the time. I would have liked to have seen the development of a relationship that would get her married with a child. Yeah. Because her oh, her character doesn't seem to fit that. That's it, because in, in so many ways, she's, you know, like a mini Margot, right? She's so dedicated to her job and, and like her primary relationship is that to her job. So I agree. It's like I can buy that she'd get into a relationship. She's an, an attractive, you know, fiery woman, but that someone would stick around long enough to marry her, long enough to have a kid with her. Like she's just so what's the word I'm looking for? Not self-involved, but like NASA involved, just so Driven. neglectful of the people around her emotionally exactly what you said i i have tried to picture her being pregnant because that's not something you can just put off mm-hmm. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. not something you can go i'll deal with this later and you know god forbid she goes into labor during a mission again that's not something you go just just wait two hours <laughs> and i just i can't I'm, i can't picture Aleda doing that you can picture her being the person that being wheeled down the hall of the hospital you know in the hospital bed, shouting to someone, get me a phone. I need yeah. to call work. <laughs> I, 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 okay. I can picture it as a, as a trope. Yes. Uh, having witnessed childbirth. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I can see her ba- basically like as soon as she's done giving birth, she's yeah. like, okay, I got to get back to work. And her husband being like, but you can, you know, take a couple weeks off. And she's like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm good. You know, walking around with a diaper on like a uh, bleeding out, like, no, mm-hmm. I'm fine. Yeah, I, I could see, you know, in, in the recovery room asking the doctor, when can I go back to work? And he's like, a week. You're staying here for three yeah. days. But I agree. I would have liked to see that. That yeah. That is the, you know, the, I don't know, disadvantage of the time jumps. It, it is kind of a bummer sometimes that we don't get to see things like that. Things that are not, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not that it's not believable, but... I don't know. I I feel like it would have been an interesting component of her character to see Mm -hmm. her going through that rather than all this focus on her discovering that Margot's the mole. But we'll we'll discuss more about that next week because she hasn't yet. All she's done is realize it. She hasn't told anyone yet. So we'll save that. 
putting on my writer hat for a second, not that I have one, but you know, I could, it could have been a very interesting and maybe just a few years in, in Alayda's life where she realizes I'm missing out on this quote unquote part of womanhood and putting her, her, her NASA work on the back burner and, and trying to, cause she meets this guy and, and is taken with him. Yeah. That would have been an interesting arc to see her try to be I the agree. good wife and then realizing it doesn't work for her. But by that time it's too late and she's already brought other people into her mess of an, of an existence because yeah. everybody in this show is messed up in all kinds of ways. <laughs> oh, just like real life. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll move on to Ed and Danny the Lesser. So first, let's just stick with episode six. So this is where he gets injured. And according to policy, he should go back up to Phoenix. But Ed changes protocols to let him stay on Mars. So why do you think Ed makes this choice? He's desperate to insulate Danny from anything that might remotely be considered bad because it's still the guilt over Tracy and Gordo. And it's still the trying to make up for Shane by by sort of loosely adopting, quote unquote, this surrogate son and look after him the way that he did not and could not look after Shane and being so desperate to do it right and to make Danny happy that he makes all the wrong decisions and enables Danny's self-destruction instead. He convinces himself that it's not happening because he, he needs to, yeah, I'm going with my instinct. He needs to save Danny, but he doesn't know how to save people especially not danny in this situation i don't i agree with you up to a point i don't think he needs to save danny because i don't think he realizes danny needs to be saved he thinks he's protecting danny yes that's much better what i said from himself from the consequences of his actions yeah yeah that's that's been ed's thing all along is oh no no you don't you know we're not gonna let them do this to you yes where you're drunk on the side of the road and i'm gonna pat you on the shoulder and then kick your ass back into space and you'll be all better and they won't do this we'll fix it ourselves and that's you know that's the mindset he's never gotten out of Mm -hmm. right okay so then in episode seven danny smashes the dog and even though ed knows danny is using drugs he still doesn't confine him to quarters or you know whatever the mars equivalent would be Okay, or confiscate this, the pharmacy key. Well, yeah, first of all, the pharmacy's not freaking locked. <laughs> yeah. Or I guess the key is just hanging on a, on a hook next to the door. I don't know if any of y'all looked at the labels, but the first thing he was quote unquote abusing was acetaminophen. That's Tylenol. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> that doesn't get you high. I don't care how much you take of it. It'll fry but, your liver. But... <laughs> but maybe he was combining it with other things. But that's what they were kind of showing. Like, you know, he they, they gave him the acetaminophen. When he cut his hand on the drill. Unless, here's the, I, yeah, yeah, they they gave him acetaminophen first. Now, and it's then, a, a low level given Tylenol. But if he was pulling from the cabinet, because I didn't look uh, closely enough at the labels, but but you caught acetaminophen, is it possible that it was Tylenol 3? Because that could be trouble. Now that that I, I didn't pause it to see, but I, I saw it was acetaminophen. It might have been acetaminophen with Tylenol with codeine. Yeah. But then the next thing he goes up to is oxycodone which I don't know when oxycodone was made. I don't think it was in the early 90s. <laughs> but this is again, an alternate timeline. But this is an alternate timeline. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, but I was like, <laughs> to jump from Tylenol to oxycodone, <laughs> that's a huge leap. The, 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 really the Sacklers, the Sacklers but he's made some already donations an addict. to NASA. Yeah. 
<laughs> Sorry, I talked over what you said, Scott. No, I was I was making a joke that the Sacklers uh, invested in NASA early, so they got a head start okay. on all their <laughs> uh, horrible tragedy and and yeah, nightmares that they addictive drugs unleashed on the world. Go watch Dope Sick, everyone. Picked nits aside, there was absolutely no security on that drug cabinet whatsoever. Well, I guess they figure you can trust your fellow astronauts not to do anything illegal. It's <laughs> such a small group of people. And no one knew that uh, no one besides Ed knew that Danny mm. was such a fucking train wreck <laughs> of a human being. And and actually, so Ed, I don't know, being so permissive to Danny is, well, Gus, our previous panelist, who is very much team Ed, he would say that this is like character assassination. And, you know, Ed uh, from like season one or whatever would never be this stupid. So so rick how you know you're our biggest ed hater how do you explain <laughs> ed's behavior because you know you've already explained that you know he's trying to protect danny and you know he sees himself as a, a father figure he he wants to make up for tracy and gordo dying so he has all these um motivations but i mean things got really escalated in this episode where danny is it's very clear he's on drugs. Ed knows this. Ed knows that he's hot. Ed knows he's using. And he's screwing up. He's constantly distracted. You know, he was saying like, Stevens, Stevens, are you with us? And he was like, huh, what? It was very clear that he was not doing his job properly, that he was not capable of doing the job. And then Ed confronts him and says, you know, get your shit together. And Danny is completely insubordinate. And I just... I have a really hard time thinking that commanding officer would... Okay, so what it is, basically, Ed reacts the way he always reacted with Shane, right? Be a man. Mm -hmm. you know, take a swing at me. You think you're hot shit? No, no, no. He was, starts belittling Danny rather than disciplining him, rather than just telling him, like, okay, you're off duty. You know, go to your quarters. Like, you know, sending him to the, the brig or whatever equivalent they have. Because I care about you, I need to take you out of action so you are not a danger to yourself or others. Got to clean you up and got to straighten you out. Going to put you in a room now. And that is but so not it. That. And yeah. that's, and that's I, I what guess, I've been saying all along. Yeah, mm. and I guess it just strains credulity for me that someone in Ed's position would be so dumb. I agree. I I totally 100% agree. I've, I've been shitting on Ed since day one. And sometimes I agree, y'all pointed out i've been a little too harsh on him um i think this whole danny thing and as as you said last week uh neek and I, I i wasn't on for that one this show is getting very close to to building a ramp over a shark tank and i think that ed's dealing with danny at this point in this season is one of the planks on that ramp yeah because even ed even you know his tough love you're you know you're like a son to me i'm trying to make up for uh, half a century of guilt or whatever, even he should have pulled Danny from duty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That didn't make any sense. For Danny to be this much of a blind spot for Ed when it comes to being reasonable and smart, it's believable up to a point. But in, in this episode, and especially for the, the final few episodes of this season, it escalates to the point where it becomes difficult to justify Ed still having a blind spot. Yeah. Even Ed should be responsible enough to punch Danny across the face, knock him out, and put him in a room, which he would have done with anyone else. Had he been a cosmonaut on the moon, he would have put Danny in the airlock. 
Yep. But no, now he, he coddles Danny and convinces himself that all I have to do is support him and he'll straighten himself out like a man. Which if this had happened in season two, if they had gotten to Mars or if this had happened in Jamestown, mm-hmm. that would have that would have tracked with Ed then. I think we've seen and record this, folks. I'm going to say we've seen some character growth with Ed over the last, you know, half a season or so where where he's realized, you know, it can't always be, you know, test pilots making the call on their own and stuff. But I think Ed is backsliding because of Danny, because Danny in his in Ed's subconscious represents Shane. Mm. And so his old behaviors come out, that really mm-hmm. harsh father figure of like, I don't know how to deal with this kid, so I'm just going to yell at him. That's what comes out when he's dealing with Danny. Yeah, the yeah, the, follows, the yeah. father Ed that Kelly did not have to face because yeah. Kelly didn't remind him of Shane. Exactly, Danny, because Kelly Danny was does. such a good kid and Kelly was a girl. Yeah. yeah, and and not just because of Danny's age, but Danny and Shane were together so much. Yeah. You can't, he cannot see one without the other. I'm taking it off the flight to the bridge. Oh, yeah? How come? He's catching. Can't focus your eyes, can't stand still. You don't think I've seen a pilot on gold pills before? Don't know what you're talking about, sir. Bullshit, you know. Nodding off one minute, talking a mile a minute the next minute, you're a fucking mess. Cut you a lot of slack, more than most. Now you're on notice. I made that mistake once with your dad back in the day, and I'm not going to do it again. Yeah, well, I'm not my dad. You got that right. Nick, you're in charge of Helio's base while we're gone. Danny, you can help him out with communications. You think you can handle that? Yes, sir. You fuck up one more time, and I mean once, and I'll confine your ass to quarters on Phoenix until we return to Earth. You got that? Yeah, whatever. Whatever. Whatever you want, boss. What happened to sir? Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Watch. Whatever you say. Sir. I said watch or what? Now, what are you going to do? You're a tough guy now? Huh? Come on, Danny. Come on. Hit me. Is that what you want? Hit me. Come on. Hit me. Be a man. That's what I thought. All right, we we talked about this a little bit last week, but to what degree do you think Danny's actions were deliberate in allowing the drill pressure to increase? Was he trying to harm people or was he just high? He's just fucked up. Yeah, it it, it was not at all on purpose. Other, okay, there, there are levels to quote unquote deliberate. I don't think he set out to kill anybody, but he also did not, go, oh, I probably shouldn't take some of these because I'm about to have to do something important. You know, I I, I am no stranger to mind altering chemicals. You know, I, I don't I don't do them now because I I have the responsibility of a child in the house. And that's exactly the point I'm making. I know a lot of people who smoke dope almost every day, except when they're in a situation where they have to be responsible. And so, you know, you go to work, you do your job, you go home, you smoke a bowl, you chill out. There are levels to usage of mind-altering chemicals, and Danny has no clue that there are levels to that. He is absolutely, he's an addict, which, you know, TV shows always kind of paint things in black and white. You either, although I have to give For All Mankind credit, because thinking about what I was just about to say, we had Wayne, who 
was perfectly able to, you know, smoke up when it was appropriate and be responsible when it was appropriate. And Karen um, as well, when she hangs he, out with Wayne. Yeah. And he taught her how to, you know, sure. You go in golfing, have a joint. Who cares? <laughs> you know, yeah. you got to go to work. Wait till you get home. Danny doesn't have anyone guiding him along those lines. And I think, you know, alcohol. Yeah. He grew up watching everybody around him drink gallons of booze a week. You know, it's I think it's interesting that Danny doesn't smoke cigarettes, at least I, not that I recall. I don't think we've ever seen him smoke a cigarette. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but, you know, booze all the time. And now I it may be and I didn't think about this until just now. It may be the 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 drugs are a new thing for him. I think there was mention of pills earlier in the season when they were talking about his his previous addiction struggles before he got clean. It's, it's I, entirely I, possible I, I missed that, but I can't confirm that. Wasn't there at some point earlier that Danielle went and like picked him up from someplace? Yeah, because yeah, he was she... in the pit. He was in the pool. Yeah, it was yeah. after the pool. Yeah, I, I think when she was giving him the talking to. Uh, yes, he has a history of addiction and, and he got into some sort of incident off screen, like in between seasons mm-hmm. that okay. um, I, I don't remember exactly what it was because we never saw it. But Danielle refers to, oh, when, you know, he went through that whole thing and Ed mm. and because she says this in her conversation with Ed, where she's trying to convince Ed not to bring Danny to Helios. And Ed is like, oh, no, he's fine. You know, he's fine now. Because I, I, I remember the first time I had Percocet after surgery, of, uh, after knee surgery, and I was like, whoa, this shit is great. Of course, then after, you know, a week on it and you, you realize there's a whole lot of downsides to it. But, you know, he may be hasn't found the downside. You know, opiates may be a new thing to him. I don't know. Not that I'm not that I'm excusing it, by the way. I'm just saying that this yeah. may be a situation mm-hmm. he's ill-equipped to deal with in, a, yeah. in an even yeah. remotely responsible manner. So, no, I don't think he set out to kill anybody. I'm going to answer your question. <laughs> I finally got back to it. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think he thought of it as this could kill anyone. He was just like, whoa, this is fun. Right. I, I think the the closest we could get to finding any sort of deliberate action or intent on Danny's part is if I recall correctly, and again, I'm ill served by not being able to go back and rewatch these in preparation for the podcast. I seem to recall him watching the gauges and he can see the pressure starting to go up to the point where he should probably tell someone, but he hears Ed on the radio. So I think he being incredibly stoned caught up in his own mind of pressures going up, but Ed's out there. What if Ed were to be gone because the pressure is going up that's an interesting thing and as all the voices are coming through the radio and he can't keep stuff straight because he's his his mind is spinning that's when he turns everything off because he needs quiet not because i need quiet so i can decide if i'm going to kill ed no it just got too noisy for him and he needed quiet for a minute and he checked out i think you're right but i don't think it was ed needs to be gone i think it was just i hate ed I'm sick of his voice. Click. Also entirely possible. This this all comes down to the the interpretation of the viewer because the way that they constructed the scene, I think it could go either way. Yeah, they don't uh, spell it out for us. It's no, I don't. No, they don't. either he got tired of hearing Ed or people who uh, assign a little bit more sinister uh, thoughts to Danny might be connecting Ed's voice with the rising pressure and wondering what if. But before making any decision one way or the other, he checks out. I, I did find him turning off the mic to be the most baffling part of the thing. 
or turning off the, the, the audio. I am as much as I despise Danny and I have been ever since episode six of season two. I cannot believe that even though he hates Ed because Ed represents a barrier between him and Karen, I cannot believe that Danny in any way was homicidal. I just think he was just so high and they're like, here's here's mm-hmm. this voice I despise. Because like you asked last week if anyone was sympathetic to Danny and John was talking about being sympathetic to Danny because of his addictive personality and him being, you know, hooked on, you know, uh, uh, substance abuse. And and I, I totally dig that. But I I don't think Danny wants to kill anyone. I think he just wants Ed to be gone because then he thinks that he can get back to Karen. And when you're when you're that messed up on on opioids and I mean, he was doing handfuls of that stuff. I think you're I think you're giving him more credit for rationality than was there. Entirely possible. I think that he just had enough peopling. No more peopling today. Turn it off. You cannot fault somebody for their addictions. I know that's a that's a very easy target for people. I'm as guilty of it as anyone where. You know, when a celebrity or someone does something horrible because they can't, you know, a perfect example, Robert Downey Jr. I knew about him long before he played Tony Stark as that star who got screwed up doing drugs and ended up going to jail or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. Same with Tim Allen. And, you know, I I could literally be sitting there smoking a joint and going, wow, those people are fucked up. <laughs> we We don't. We, we we disconnect ourselves from what we're doing and we look at what somebody else is doing and go, oh, that's horrible. I don't fault Danny for his addictions because, yeah, he's had a terrible life. He's had terrible role models. He's watched his parents die in, ter- in horrible ways and had another uh, a mother figure do a terrible thing to him. I'm sorry. You know, there's a reason why it's called statutory rape. Now, granted, when when. Danny and Karen slept together. The age difference was not illegal, but it was still a power dynamic. Mm -hmm. And she should not have done that. Danny has been a victim his whole life, which excuses the substance abuse or explains it. Doesn't excuse it. It explains it. Explains. But once he got into Ed's private transmissions and continues to watch them, that's when I lost sympathy for him. I sympathize with being an addict that is absolutely not his fault but his actions once he got into the 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 private communications yeah he's making immoral choices yeah. consistently mm-hmm. and he has to be held accountable for his actions mm-hmm. and, and that's and they, why i think he i don't think he wanted to kill ed not overtly i don't think it was a definitely a, a, wanted to hurt ed he definitely wanted to hurt ed and he wanted ed gone but I don't think he has the capability to, at the point where it happens, when that explosion happens, I don't think he has the mental capability to think, if I do this, then Ed will be gone. Because I think that that's a level mm-hmm. of rationality Danny doesn't have at that point. Yeah. Okay. Uh, is there anything else anyone wants to bring up about these episodes? Pour one out for the robot dog. Yeah. <laughs> do, do we want to I, I i would like to i know i know you talked about it last week and i i wasn't here kelly and the the russian guy whose name I can't alexi remember. alexi I, I don't know why you were so shocked that people hooked up <laughs> that, that she hooked up with with alexi 
shocked is the right word maybe disappointed Dis- exactly that see you but- took my words <laughs> exactly exactly what i was gonna say we're and, disappo- and- disappointed at their jeopardizing and complicating the mission by adding this additional dynamic that doesn't need to be there it's unprofessional you're yeah, in it's goddamn space it's selfish and and it's it's not safe because now yeah, you're it's, just, it, it's not you're, what you do as an astronaut you're in but, space. You're on Mars. Focus on the job. But as as John brought up, and I agree, this mission has gone tango uniform in a huge way. And I understand that reference. <laughs> uh, okay. D- do I need to explain what tango no, uniform means? Okay. I get um, it. Everyone gets it. <laughs> <laughs> and this crew is way young. These are all basically kids who are in a situation and and I'm not saying that you have to be older to make good decisions, but when you put up a, a bunch of 20 somethings in a situation where the tension is high, things have gone wrong. Nothing is as it was supposed to be. And something for all mankind has done. And I've mentioned things along this line before it's turned spaceflight into something routine. And so the people doing it are no longer the best of the best. And so you've got a bunch of, you know, 20 somethings, early 30 somethings who are not necessarily prepared for the stresses of the job. They're up there to do, you know, Kelly's there to make sure they're not screwing up any Martian biota. You know, she's not a test pilot. She's, you know, this, I'm pretty sure this is her first mission, right? Her first time in space. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's, she spent the whole time as a child watching her dad go, eh, fuck the rules, do what I want. The Russians are all messed up because their ship is screw is gone. You know, they watched someone get squashed between two spaceships. They don't know if they're going to be able to go home. I'm surprised they're the only ones they had hook up. Okay. I'll, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm not saying y'all are wrong or I'm right. It's just, that's the way I see it is like, that's I'm okay. Yeah. People, people fucking stressful situations. <laughs> Well, we'll have more to say about their relationship as uh, as things develop, because we know things will develop. Uh, yeah, we do. <laughs> so we will wrap things up. Scott, what have you got to plug? I can plug my podcast. That's right. It's on this network. It's called That Star Trek Podcast. We review new episodes of Star Trek and other little short bits of Star Trek. And then we talk about Star Trek and then we talk about other stuff. And then we remember that this is a Star Trek show. And we go back and talk about Star Trek. <laughs> if you don't want to hear me talk the way I just did, then move right on from podcasts and visit my website, www.planetrisecreative.com and see some of the graphic artwork that I do for fun and profit. And Rick, what have you got to plug? Uh, you can find me right here on the network on that Star Trek podcast, occasionally on Captain Game Show, on Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk podcast. I have a show that's coming down the pike. I'm not going to mention it now because it's on pause, but <laughs> I'm tired of getting yelled at about it. <laughs> okay. You're the one that's- that brings it up every week. <laughs> can't be mad at us for yelling at you well yeah <laughs> I, i'm the one giving him a hard time about it so oh okay well that makes sense <laughs> and i am also a regular panelist on that star trek podcast right here on the infinite potato alliance so subscribe to that if you haven't already and subscribe to this show if you haven't already yeah the fuck's wrong with you <laughs> and you can find my weekly recaps of Star Trek episodes at superanemic.com. And with that, we say 
Bye, Bob. Bye, Bob. Bye, Bob. Growing up in Detroit, there weren't a lot of kids like me. Back then, uh, especially in the neighborhood I grew up in, you just didn't tell people you were gay. It was hard. I got bullied a lot. There were days where I felt like I didn't want to go on. Like maybe the world was better off without me in it. But I did go on. And now here I am, the first gay man on Mars. So if you're a kid out there that feels like maybe you're broken somehow, like the world would be better off without you in it, I promise you, it's the world that's broken, not you. Now I know there's probably gonna be a lot of people out there mad at me for saying this, but I just feel like if somebody like me doesn't say it, well, What's the point of sending people all the way out here if we can look back on our own world and see for what it could be? Thank you for listening to Moon Show, a For All Mankind podcast on the Infinite Potato Alliance. For more great shows, please go to infinitepotato.com. Our theme music is Small Victory by Steve Combs, used under a Creative Commons attribution license. You can find more of his music at freemusicarchive.org slash music slash Steve underscore Combs. Oh shit! I had a point and lost it because um, I, I, I've been thinking about this all week, and I just where was I going with that? Um, hell, hopefully I'll think of it later. <laughs> I've been hanging on to this for a week now, and it's and it just it just ran away. <laughs>